Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to our latest sermon, a sermon about being a living sacrifice, or in other words, a sermon about living the Christian life. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to give you some exciting news. Our church is back to gathering in Wilsonville on Sundays. For about five months, we were using a church building in Oregon City for our services. Thank you, Hope International, for your generosity and hospitality. While it was a good place for us, we've really missed meeting in the city where our church has its home base and where most of our people are, and we are incredibly glad to be back. For the next few months, we'll be meeting at Meridian Creek Middle School. If you live in our area, we would love for you to join us. We will do our best to make sure it is a safe and impactful gathering. And whether you live near us or not, we hope that you'll join us in thanking God for his continuous provision throughout the last year. He has given us a place to record or meet for services every single week, and we are so grateful for that. Again, thank you for taking some time to listen to this sermon. I hope that it will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Uh, Let me begin with prayer. Lord, thank you that we can gather here and that we can gather, God, and... um, our place is with your, with your people, God, and we are with our people today. And I just uh, thank you that uh, we do have a roof over our heads and that we can enjoy this time with one another. And uh, I just pray that you would be present here in the message, God, that you would stir uh, in our hearts today. And we love you in your precious name. Amen. Uh, I look good today. <laughs> so many of you are not used to seeing me looking so fly. Uh, truth be told, I wore this yesterday. Uh, I was at a junior uh, senior night. I am, uh, if you don't know me, I am a chaplain and a Bible teacher at a middle school and a high school, private school down in Salem. Uh, and I was a chaperone, so I wore this. I had it out. I figured if I'm going to look good today, I might as well look good tomorrow. Uh, but let me, I mean, let me start really uh, briefly. This has been a long time coming, by the way. Uh, uh, if you don't know, I, I was supposed to preach, what, three, four weeks ago, I think it was, and then uh, Chad wouldn't let me <laughs> because I was quarantining, because that's the way of the world right now. Um, but when I was an undergraduate student at George Fox University and thinking at the time of changing my major to biblical studies, uh, I, was, I started out as a, a writing lit major because I liked to write, and then I took poetry, and I said, this is not for me. Um, I was taking a youth ministry class, and at the time, I was in youth ministry, and I had uh, a guy who was the director of Young Life. His name was Steve Sherwood, and he was uh, teaching the class, and he, he offered up this statistic that I uh, debated afterwards with many other uh, biblical studies majors. But this was the, st- the statistic. He said that when you go to college or when you graduate high school and you become a young adult, there is a 73% chance that you walk away from your faith. In other words, you, uh, if you were in high school, Uh, and you are about to graduate, and you are a Christian, there is only a 27% chance that you remain a Christian when you leave 
that high school as a graduate. Now, this is very hard for me uh, as an educator of people who are young and have not yet reached that moment. Because I'll look out and I'll survey the room and think, really? 27%? It hurts. It's hard for me to even think that way. Because uh, as you minister to these young kids, you begin to love them dearly. And to think that they'll walk away from what is the most important thing in the world is hard to imagine. But what I debated after that class with some of those biblical studies uh, uh, majors, really, it bothers me. And it bothers me to this day because this is what we talked about. We weren't asking the question, well, why is that the case? What, what is it that's not impacting these kids? Or what is it that's not foundational to them that they sort of abandon this faith? What's happening? Instead, we said, is it possible to lose your salvation? That was the question that we, we debated very haughtily there after that class. Some said, well, that's a stupid statistic. They didn't walk away from the faith because they never had it. Had they really believed, they just would have kept that belief. So really, it was just shedding the fakers. And others were saying, well, no, 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 no. I know people that love Jesus, but something happened in their life that transformed them, that changed them, that pressured them, that influenced them away from the faith. Of course, people can, can be Christians and then be Christians no longer. And this is what we debated. And it bothers me because no matter what is true, the results are the same. Kids who are saying, I'm a Christian, say that no longer. At a alarming rate, 73%. And so some have said it's maybe that they're just not good at resisting the temptations and pressures of the world. And I don't want to talk about resistance. What I want to talk about today is something I think that is even deeper than that. I want to talk about transformation. I don't think that the issue is one of resistance. I think it is one of transformation. And I want to talk about what it is to live a transformed life. My father, now three weeks ago, uh, got to speak on uh, the beginning of Romans, uh, Romans chapter 1 through Romans chapter 13. And we had the opportunity to know what it is to live in view of God's mercies, it talks about, uh, in view of the gospel and in view of what God has already done for us. And so uh, to live in view of the present and past mercies, um, what that does for us is, is it informs our calling and our calling is to live, it says there, as living sacrifices. This is what it says, just, just to remind you, because it has been a little bit of time. It says uh, at the beginning of Romans chapter 12, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able 
to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So as I've been teaching, uh, it's been a really just weird two years now of how I have to teach, because if anybody uh, has to quarantine and they're around anybody, then everybody does. So there's a lot of hybrid learning, a lot of online learning. Uh, so I have to teach online a lot. Uh, last year was pretty much all online at the end of the year. In the beginning of this year, there was a lot online. And I am not an effective online teacher because they can't see me throw the desk, right? <laughs> I am expression-knit is the right word, right? right? As in, I will throw, not add kids, near them, right? I like to express myself in the classroom and I like to see them. And they have their cameras turned off and when I say, come on, turn your camera off, they turn it on. I'm like, turn it off, just turn it off, right? Because they're like in their bed and they're like up here in their pajamas and it's like, it's 1230. What are you doing? My mom brought me breakfast in bed. Thank you, mothers, by the way. This was not a Mother's Day sermon. Remember, this was prepared some time ago, but thank you. And so I've had just a really rough time. And operating with this understanding that I may not have a lot of these kids maintain their faith. So what is it that I can do to be a consistent impact in their lives, even past this moment, uh, to the point where I, I do a young adults group, or at least I did right now, it's on hiatus because of all this. But I want kids to still have community after high school. And here's something that many, many of the kids are doing. They're gaming. They're gaming. They like to play games online. They have this presence online. And so I, I took on an undertaking. And I said, I'm going to create a community that is online. And we've called it Christian Influence. I have a website, christianinfluence.xyz. If you went there, I made that. And I, seriously, I'm not, uh, Ashley, my wife, will tell you, I had a lot of like rough moments, but I actually went out, I bought a, an actual real life server, which is hardware for the older people, which is beep pop, beep boop, 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 right? Okay, and uh, I, I, I learned Linux, a programming system, and I set up these servers that kids could play on, and it's these Christian influence servers where spaces, because if you go online and, uh, <laughs> Online can be terrible, all right? I, in terms of like what kids are, are hearing at young ages from other people playing online, it's toxic and terrible and mean and usually about your mother, frankly, and it's not good. Uh, and it, so it's like, well, I wanna create spaces that are these Christian spaces where kids can play with fellow Christians and try to be influences on other people who are coming into that community. How radical would it be if rather than go out into a world and be influenced that we create Christian spaces where we are the influencers. And so uh, we started this community. Uh, we have this thing. And then, and then someone said, I want to do a podcast. I want to do the official Christian influence podcast. I said, that's awesome. Let's get this going. And so I said, what's their name going to be? And they said, I got a great name. I said, what is it? They're like under the influence. <laughs> So, hey, we have a podcast and it's called Under the Influence, folks. 
Their intro is literally like, buckle up, folks. You're about to go under the influence. And then they have sirens. Sir, are you under the influence? Yes, of Jesus. <laughs> hey, these, the, and these are kids who have graduated uh, that were former students of mine, and they want to do an Under the Influence podcast talking about the issues that college students deal with today regarding their faith. Because the, the issue is that if we try to tell people that you just need to be stronger and, res, and, and resist, then we're telling them the wrong thing because it's not about resisting. It's about transforming. And what if, what if as Christians, we could transform the spaces that we go into? We need transformed spaces. And that, and, and from that idea where it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Now there's this key phrase here. It's a Greek word, metamorphose. And it's where we get our word metamorphosis. And if you know what a metamorphosis is, it's a complete change of being. It's what we translate as transformed. And many of you have children. I see children in this room. Many of you or have had children or are maybe having children. I was going to just point to some random person. So that... <laughs> uh, I won't do it. I'll point to Kevin in the back. Uh, and many of you are children, but those of you have, have a sort of developed sense of what it is to have children uh, will know that you, you have those moments where you realize you, you, you want to have transformational impact on your kid, your son or your daughter, and then you realize how woefully short you fall. There's a story, uh, this one's with my father who thought he was having one of those transformational moments with me. I was uh, a boy, and my favorite thing to do was to run around in my underwear <laughs> all the time. You know, my, and my mom and dad liked to have people over, and so people got used to seeing a little boy in his underwear. <laughs> and my sister, older than me, started to have friends over. And lest I create a stumbling block, <laughs> my, my parents said, look, you need to start wearing clothes. You need to start putting pants on. And I said, no, no, no. I prefer my underwear. It's like my son. I got talked to recently when he was on a Zoom call. The teacher said, look, I've told your son he needs to wear a shirt. I said, what? <laughs> he went into the meeting with a shirt. Somewhere along the way, he said, nope, and took it off. I don't know why. So my dad takes me, takes me. Oh, he's got something to say about it. So my dad takes me into his office at the time, and he says, son, in his fatherly voice. My dad usually would use big words that I didn't understand, but in this moment, I think he dumped it down. He said, son, you got to wear pants. And to use himself as a shining example of what it looks like, he said, son, this is how daddy does it. And I looked at my dad, that moment of transformation, and I said, Father, this is how I do it. <laughs> See, I, I, I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> I wasn't being transformed, despite my father trying to have a transformational moment. Now, if you were part of the apologetics course that uh, I, I did online, 
And there's a story I, I said there that I'm going to say again, but I think it's really important because if we as Christians want to live transformationally, we've, we've got to remember how people operate. So there is, uh, th- this is a, from a pastor, guy, a guy's named Michael Ramston. And he tells this story uh, of when he was going in to get a haircut. Uh, I have a brother-in-law who's not this way, so a lot of gentlemen uh, really don't care too much about where they get their haircut. Okay? Just, if you can cut my hair, go ahead. Maybe they'll have their spouse do it. One time I had my wife do it, and she ran out of the room. Halfway, I'm like, what's going on? She just dropped the razor and ran. She, she shaved my entire sideburn off, like up to here. I don't know how, but it happened. So she's not been willing to attempt it since. But, you know, you just go in. You don't make appointments. So, so this, this uh, Michael goes to a place, and he says, oh, this will do. He walks inside, and a very, very pregnant woman comes to the counter and says, well, hello, you know, what would you like to do? And he says, well, I'm here for a haircut. So she grabs this notebook and she opens it up and she says, okay, and, and when were you hoping to get your haircut? And he's like, um, now? <laughs> She's like, well, I, I have a lot of appointments, you know, but if, if we do it quickly, I could squeeze you in now. He's like, oh, yeah, fine, yeah, I don't need anything special. You can squeeze me in right now, let's do it. So he goes and he sits down, she puts that little poncho uh, on him and, uh, you know, a little neck scarf, whatever they call him. And she is preparing to cut his hair, but she kind of puts her hands on her belly and she turns to one of her coworkers that is cutting someone's hair. And she says, you know what? Business is good. I've got a full schedule. I've got so much, but there's gotta be more than this. You know, there's gotta be more to life than this. This is what she says to just to her coworker. This guy's a pastor, right? And he's thinking, well, I just can't let that question dangle there. And so as she goes to cut his hair, he makes sure to make eye contact with her through the mirror. And when he finally does, he says, you know, in life, it's not about what we have, but about what we appreciate. And she stops and she says, that was, that was deep. She says, say, say, say that again? And he's like, yes, in, in life, it's not about what we have, but about what we appreciate. And she says, wait, hold on a minute. She walks and she grabs a notepad. And she comes back and she says, now, I bet you couldn't say that again. And he says, yes, in life, it's not about what we have, but about what we appreciate. And she writes it down. She says, oh, yeah, that's good. I like that. And then he's, you know, since he has her attention, he says, yeah, you know, in life, it's, it's not that we don't have things to be grateful for. It's that sometimes it feels like we don't have someone to be grateful to. She says, my goodness, yes. Yeah, it's like I have, I have so much. And it's like I, I, I'm, I'm grateful, but I don't, I don't know. Who am I supposed to be grateful to? That's what it feels like, right? And she writes this down, and he has her attention. And as they're going through this, you know, he's kind of, answering her questions and her concerns. And it's born out of this conversation. And then at one point again, and my wife did this, I I had a a literal conversation with my wife when she was pregnant, the same thing, kind of hands on the belly. And it's like, the world is evil. Can you believe I have to bring a child into this world? Like how many of you know that like, there are not a lot of safe spaces out there, right? 
children are going to be in environments, whether you like it or not, that are not conducive to the Christian way. And that's scary. And so this, but this lady puts her hands on her belly and she says, there's just so much evil in this world. I'm scared. See, but Michael wanted her to see a reality that was deeper than that. And he looks at her and he says, you know, what should concern you is not about the evil that is outside of us, but about the evil that is within us. She says, my goodness. And she writes it down. She's like, you know, there, there are parts of me that I want to do certain things or I try to do certain things and I I try to feel certain ways, but I can't always do it. Sometimes I feel this way when I don't want to. Sometimes I say the things I don't want to. Sometimes I do the things I don't want to. She's right. It's like, gosh, it's like rescue me somebody, right? It's like, I need to be rescued. He's like, yeah, it's like you need a savior. And she's like, yes, that's a perfect word for it. It's like, I need a savior. He got her right hook, line and sinker. He says, I got news for you. I know just the savior and he spends the rest of that time. This was supposed to be like 15 minutes. This went an hour and 15 minutes, right? Her other appointments were like, geez, that guy's got short hair. What's going on? (laughs) But telling, telling her the gospel message. Now he goes back home. He tells his wife, he said, this awesome experience, this transformational moment where I got to speak to her questions that this woman had. Uh, And he says, you know, it's, it's, disciple making. And so you can't just leave her with that. He kind of thought, and he said, I, I got to figure out a way to check in with this person. So, uh, two weeks later, he goes back to get a haircut. Does he need one? No. Okay. But he goes back in and when she sees him, she points at him and says, you, I'll do your haircut. He says, yes. And she goes, sits him down and she's just ecstatic. Like, Every, I, I am seeing the truth of the things that you've said in my life. I, I am. I, I believe it and I see it manifest. It's so real and it's so awesome. I just want someone to share it with. And why I want someone to share it with, because when I told my husband, you know what he said? He said, you're just preaching at me. And Michael's thinking, yeah, of course. Think about it. Think about how that conversation went down. Honey, I want you to come sit down. You know, in life, it's not about what we have, but about what we appreciate. And you know what? It's not that we don't have things to be thankful for. Sometimes it feels like we don't have someone to be thankful to. And I'll tell you what, it's not about the evil in the world. It's about the evil that is within us. And it's like, we need to be rescued. I'll tell you what, honey, it's that we need a savior. And let me tell you that savior is Jesus Christ. Are you ready for this message? And he's like, In one, in one instance, Michael was answering her deep, real questions. And in the other instance, she was answering questions he never had. We do this sometimes. We go to a world that isn't asking the questions and we begin to answer them anyways. You think about, I'm, you know, this is those sandwich board moments, right? <laughs> You're going to hell. And then it's like true, but 
I mean, no one's like, that changed my life. That moment that man pointed at me and said, you're going to hell and get God hated me. I just was never the same. See, the point is if we live transformationally in the world, we influence the world and they ask questions. We need to live in a way where the world begins to ask questions. If all they ever see is us answering questions they never had, then oftentimes they interpret that as hate or meanness or rejection. And people are not changed by hate, meanness, and rejection. People are changed transformationally by love. And so if we live that out in our lives, then people may begin to ask why, how, who. See, and it's exactly what Paul is leading us to. He said, be living sacrifices, be transformed. And then he gives an example of what it looks like to live transformationally. And it isn't easy. I'm, I, uh, <laughs> I'm not a shining example of this. I, tr- I try, and I think God likes our trying. But it says, uh, first, actually, I don't have this written down, but I think it's important to remember that living sacrificially uh, is a novel understanding. Because people at the time there in Romans knew what it was to sacrifice and sacrifices in every instance that they knew of were dead. Sacrifices are the things that you did uh, for God, for the forgiveness of sins, and usually for yourself. And they were always dead, but to live sacrificially means that there's always this present danger that the sacrifice crawls off the altar. So it's not something that we can do in a moment. Christianity is not about that one time. I believe in Jesus. Now I don't have to do anything ever again. See, that belief is borne out in how we live consistently. It is a living sacrifice. There is that danger always that we stumble off the altar. And so in order for us to live transformationally, we have to do it intentionally. So God wants to transform the world through transformed people. It says this in second Corinthians three eighteen. I don't have a clock in here to know how I'm doing, but it's okay. Second Corinthians three eighteen says this, and we, and we all who with unveil, unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. This idea that God uses people 
to be his glory in the world. So it's not that we need to be just these people who are resistant to the pressures. We need to be people who are actively transforming those spaces and transforming those pressures. So here's what we have. Romans 12, 14 now and onward. It says this, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. That's the one I need to work on. But be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. See, most of America, we haven't really experienced anything comparable to the per persecution that brothers and sisters in other parts of the countries are dealing with. And, and many of you, not, not even many, some of you may have experienced a level of persecution. Maybe you didn't get a promotion or maybe you weren't liked at a job or maybe friends and family or even family members uh, pushed back or didn't like some things that you were doing or saying or even rejected you or didn't invite you or something like that because of your Christianity. That happens. I think about the extremist group in, in, in Boko Haram that has been slaughtering Christians around the world. In fact, they will go uh, to areas where children are being taught. Uh, they'll take uh, the boys and they'll put the boys in a pile and they'll light them on fire. They'll often take the girls and, and marry them off to Muslim men and women or, or, or kidnap. In fact, that's, if you remember way back in the, uh, in the day now, they had a hashtag, said, hashtag bring back our girls. Anyone remember that? That was when these girls were kidnapped and that they were sold uh, or at least being sold to Muslim men and get married. Sometimes they would go and they would release the girls and say, go and, and get out of this group. But when they were kidnapped, it was a, a, a big reality. Um, point for another time. The boys were always thrown into, file, uh, thrown into a pile and lit on fire. Uh, so uh, there should have been a hashtag for them, too. That bothered me a little bit. Um, but around the world, Christians even today are being thrown into cages, toppled end to end and put into a lake and drowned together. And so while it is true that some of you may experience persecution in your lives, I think we can all say it's a far cry away from seeing your family members slaughtered in front of you. But there could be a day where we experience that. And if we do not have transformed hearts and minds, the question is, will we be ready? It is funny to me that uh, while we kind of get frustrated maybe with the fact that we've had to move so many times, never maybe have we been closer to the early church. That met in homes and met in different places all the time because of the persecution that they were experiencing. For ours is easier, 
But this mobility, we need to begin to understand that the place is less important than the people that we're experiencing church with here today. So this idea, I'm going to read it again, 1516, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. This idea has this common thread, the idea of being rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. This idea is selflessness that we begin to see the issues in other people's lives as important. When we get outside of ourselves and understand that we exist in a community where people need us, that we need to be investing in other people, that we need to be elevating the concerns of other people and to use a line coming from a non-Christian source, but it's nonetheless true to understand that hurt people hurt people. And so the idea that we look at our persecutors and we say, I will love you despite that is us recognizing that the reason that they're in that position, that the reason that they're doing this is because there is something in their life that God needs to touch. And if you are not willing to do it, we've got an issue. Because God wants transformed people to transform the world. He wants people to be his hands and feet. I loved this example where uh, uh, Rick Warren, who wrote a uh, purpose driven life. Thank you. Uh, who wrote a purpose from life. He went on Oprah and he's a pastor of a big church. So what do you think he wants to talk about? He wants to talk about Jesus. He went on there and they did not show any clip where the name Jesus was mentioned. Oprah likes to be spiritual, but not specific. And so all the mentions of Jesus were wiped out during this interview. So if you were in the live audience, you got to see uh, and hear Jesus. But if you watched at home, you didn't get to see it. However, there was one instance that they just couldn't get rid of. And there's a guy named uh, Nick Vovacek uh, who has no arms and he has no legs. He was born with just this uh, little foot that has, uh, I think, two toes on it. That's all he has. And he was on there in the audience because Rick Warren brought him. And at one point, they showed a video of him doing things and and speaking around the world uh, in this ministry. And he uh, is called out by Oprah and says, oh, like, how can you do this? And he says, Oprah, you like illustrations. And he did this impromptu thing. He's like, I want to show you something. You, you have a camera back behind me? He's like, yeah, yeah. So he gets out of his seat and he hobbles over to the, the stairs that go up onto the stage. And each step, he talks about the miracles of Jesus and how he operates. And he says, isn't it amazing? That God can use a man with no arms and no legs to be his hands and feet. And he jumps up on stage and he says, you need to know 
that Jesus can transform your life. It was so powerful that it's the only mention of Jesus that made it onto Oprah. But the idea is that God uses you to touch people. And if we run away from the ones who are hardest to reach, who then will reach them? So this idea its so crazy that when Paul is talking about being transformational and being transformed and what it looks like, he says, it looks like you reaching the hardest to reach people, the people who instinctively you would not associate with the people who instinctively you would run away from the people that are hurting you. Will you love them anyways? Will you reach them anyways? Since this is Mother's Day, let me use uh, my mother as uh, an example. You'll have to ask her after to give you more specifics of the story because I don't remember. But when I was a child, I do remember this woman coming into our home, a woman that I had never met before. And she had these scars on her head and she still had the gauze on her stomach. And what I knew was the fact that she had been shot several times. And what I knew is that she was our neighbor down the road that lived next to the house that were where my two good friends lived. She lived there. She got shot in the head, but it didn't go through. It was a nine millimeter. So it slid around her skull, but she had a scar on her head and she had the, uh, the, the wounds on her stomach. And what I found out was that there was a bad drug deal that went down in that house and she got shot. They tried to kill her. Now, here's a person that when I was young, my parents would probably say, don't go near that house. Stay away. See, but my, my parents said, that's not us. That's not a, our position. In fact, maybe we can say that dealing drugs and getting shot is probably a lower position, a lowly position. See, but my parents, when they heard this, rather than running away and saying, no, no, no. Christians don't associate with people like that. That woman was in our home. They went to the hospital. They shared the gospel with her. And if I remember, she received the gospel, right? Hurt people, hurt people. And we need to be reaching out to those who need it the most, which means swallowing our pride. And when someone hurts us, we say, that's God's. Leave room for God. If they're going to be judged, it's not going to be by me. Can we swallow our pride? Can we swallow our desire for revenge? Can, you know, when someone calls you a name and you just want to roast them and I'm good at it. I'll tell you what, those kids, when they say things, I just sound like, mm, and I'm eating it. I'm, I'm like, Ooh, I could right now. You know what I mean? But recognizing that what people need and what changes people is love. I'll tell you what, and I've done it before. I love my wife, but have I said things that I shouldn't have said because I was angry and never once after saying it, I'm like, I feel better now. That's all I needed. I needed that off my chest. I say it and I'm like, no, but you can't, it's done. And, and she's not like, wow, I'm going to change now. Right? That was good. I'm glad you hurt my feelings. But here's the last point. If, if we want to live transformational, here's something that we don't hear. And here's the problem. You read Romans uh, one through the end, right? You read it 
And sometimes we allow our, our current cultural understanding to influence how we hear it. So we have to remember how Paul intended for us to hear this message. We live in a very individualistic culture. So when we hear this, we think that speaks to me or I needed to hear this. This is good. This is good. If, if you, if you hear it and you're like, yes, that's something that I need to live in my life. Yes. That's something that I need. Remember that this was written to a community of believers and was intended to be lived out within a community of believers. This was intended to be something that you could practice with your brothers and sisters in the world that needs it. If you go out and say, I can do this all on my own. I can do this to he who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Paul would tell you, I, I do this demonstration with my kids. I brought, I bring one up that guy did this at last chapel. I brought a chair. Uh, this is a private school, so they can be physical just to be clear. I can do sorts of things. Like I told you throwing desks and stuff. Okay. So I, I put a chair up and I say, you know, Josh, come here, stand on this chair. Do not get off that chair. And then I get usually the smallest girl in the room. And I say, you peewee, come here. And she's like, I'm like, get him off the chair. And all she's got to do is like, and he's like, and he falls off, right? He's standing on this chair, he falls off. And it's like, no, Josh, you, are you not as stronger than this little girl? You know, you, you rib him, right? You're like, come on, you're not stronger than this little girl? Get on that chair, do it again. And he's like, all right, like trying to balance. And it's just like, it's nothing, you can't. And so I say, all right, Ben, come here. You got one job, Ben. Don't let Josh fall off that chair. Now that girl is pushing and pulling and trying to get Josh off that chair, but there's somebody there now holding him up. It's much harder. And I say, okay, and bring another gentleman. Don't let him fall off the chair. And then I bring two more girls up, get him off the chair. And all of a sudden you have like 10 men and 15 girls all trying to get the guy off the chair, but there's no way by the time there's four guys, it's unmoving. The reality is we do not face the pressures or the persecutions of this world alone. And if we feel alone, it's because we are not seeing the community around us. The people in this room, see, we have people like that elsewhere and we need to be living in community and we need accountability. We need to be honest with one another. We need to be people who are sharing our struggles and our weaknesses with other people. God, or Paul intends for us to see this issue as an issue in community. That we can be strong together. Here's a passage that you probably hear at weddings, but contextually it's, it's not talking about a man and a woman anyways, but I'll read it to you. It says this in Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and no one, and they have no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And here it is. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. 
Or the passage in Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And here's a verse, 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober and alert. Your enemy, the devil, like a roaring lion, is on the prowl looking for someone to devour. You are easier prey when you are alone. And we need to be building each other up in community. Here's the, the idea of the Christian influence I created was that so many of these kids go into these spaces and they feel overwhelmed because everyone is this way. And eventually they feel pressured to be that way. Sometimes if you just have one other person who says, I'll be strong with you, we can endure this together. All of a sudden you can transform a space with two. And it is, I'm not going to say it's impossible, but it is very hard to do by yourself. Recognize community, seek out community, surround yourself with people who are like-minded so that when you face the world that is not, you can be strong together. Uh, I listened to a sermon that my mother asked me to listen to. And, his, and he actually used this verse in 1 Peter 5, 8, uh, and he t- entitled it, Run Towards the Roar. And it, was re- and it was really fascinating. But this idea that the enemy is like a roaring lion, that they actually decided to use that phrase, roaring lion. And it uh, turns out that when you look at how lions hunt, it's kind of radical. Now, many of you have already heard that it's the females that do the hunting, right? Now, if you, uh, they, they stalk the prey, do the hunting, and then the male lion gets the lion's share, the, the, uh, the meat of it. He's the pride leader, which means he'll fend off and protect the hide from, or the pride from other uh, lions that are seeking or from other things. But when a male lion roars, this is interesting, the, the natural instinct of prey is to then run the other way. And so what a male lion will do is position himself so that when he roars and it's something like it can be heard like three miles away, the, the, the male lions roar. It's crazy. When he roars, prey will run right into the jaws of the hunters. And, and think about this. Those people who are persecuting us or are hurting us, those people are people who need Jesus. And our instinct, and the enemy knows this, is to run away from those people. See, but if we are to run towards the roar, we run in the direction that the enemy does not want us run to. That's when the world starts to be transformed when we reach people who need to be reached the most, the hurting people, hurt people, hurt people. And so God wants our perspective to change. He wants our perspective to change on the people in the world that need it the most. He wants us to be humble, to swallow our pride and to not be self-centered and to seek out the, those who need it the most and to see their issues and their problems as great and real and in many respects greater than our own. He wants us to literally weep with those who are weeping and to rejoice with those who are to rejoice. Can you imagine being happy for the person who took your promotion? 
Can you be, can you imagine somebody who's weeping, who in many respects got what you think they deserved? Your love can transform people, but love that is easy. Everyone does, but love that is hard and love that is given despite them not deserving it. That is love that can change people. And I'll tell you what, from, from this, God wants us to live transformed lives so that we can impact the world transformationally. And we do that by running towards the people who need it most. So please hear that this morning.